And now, proper propaganda. If you're just tuning into Civic Cipher, I'm your host, Ramses Jha. I go by the name Q Ward. Yes, indeed. And uh, be sure to stick around because we are knee deep in our entertainment episode uh we still got a lot more to talk about not the least of which is rap beef Mm. i uh come from hip-hop radio so i got some thoughts on that also we're going to be talking about hattie mcdaniel far away black history fact she's the first african-american to win an oscar she has two stars on the hollywood walk of fame and she was her only her dying wish was to be buried in the hollywood cemetery and it was denied to her because she was not a white woman um and a lot more cool things about her uh obviously she's long gone so hence our way black history fact um but yeah our entertainment episode is in full swing first and foremost let's talk about the nfl um in in a good way finally right that's surprising but go for it all right so for our baba segment becoming a better ally I pulled this from ESPN. All right. So it says, first off, let me just preface this. I don't know anything about sports. <laughs> Q always laughs at me. I'm, I'm a music guy. Always been. Never been a sports guy. Actually, I played football in high school, but I forgot it all. He always anyway. tells me that too. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one thing I did. I used to play basketball a little bit, but I'm, it's long gone. Anyway, so I'm going to read this. If I don't sound like the most articulate sports person, that's why. All 32 NFL teams will hire a minority offensive assistant coach for the 2022 season, part of a series of policy enhancements announced Monday to address the league's ongoing diversity efforts. The coach can be, quote, a female or member of an ethnic or racial minority, end quote, according to the policy adopted by NFL owners during their annual meeting and will be paid from a league wide fund. The coach must work closely with the head coach and the offensive staff. With the goal of increasing minority participation in the pool of offensive coaches that eventually produces the most sought after candidates for head coaching positions. Quote, it's a recognition that at the moment, when you look at stepping stones for a head coach, they are the coordinator positions. End quote, said Pittsburgh Steelers owner Art Rooney II, the chairman of the NFL Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Committee. Quote, we clearly have a trend where coaches are coming from the offensive side of the ball in recent years, and we clearly do not have as many minorities in the offensive coordinator position. Um, now, the NFL wasn't hiring some guy because they were just pretending to interview him. I forget the guy's name, but he was somebody special. Brian Flores. That's why we keep Q around. Um, and then uh, the NFL came back and did this. So, you know, our beef is not eternal here. We all got to learn. Even black folks, we got to learn, too. We're just trying to be better brothers and sisters to each other. So shout out the NFL for becoming a better ally. Now. <sighs> I feel like we still have a couple more. Levels. A couple more things to address with this will smith and chris rock situation i agree wholeheartedly but i think i can make a point that further illustrates my issue with it and why there's a weight a gravity to it that other people may not experience and the reason we're telling the reason i'm telling you this is because that weight 
comes from you. You, not, not you the individual, but you society, you as a group in mass, right? Because those prejudices, those stereotypes, those are the things that crush me under their weight. Those are the things that say, okay, I have to be perfect to be good enough. I have to be twice as good to be good enough, right? And that's not fair, right? Because there's a lot of people who are good enough that will never be considered because they're not twice as good. You understand? And that's not the same when you cross over into a different race because you can just be good enough if you're a different race. It's a, it's a different reality. Um, I want to further illustrate how this weight feels, right? Now, this is not your fault, society, but it is, we'll call it our problem. And if it's our collective problem, then we have to challenge our prejudices and stereotypes with respect to these things. We have to do it together. I'm not putting it on you. It's us, okay? The first thing I want to talk about is those videos that go viral about people fighting when the people are black and they are fighting after school, after a club, whatever the video is, I cringe because to me, I'm like, white folks could see this video. They will see this video. And they will think, look, I knew it. That's exactly how they behave. And they paint with broad strokes. It's not, if you're white, I'm not picking on you. It's not your fault. It's human nature to categorize things. This is how we make sense of the world, right? We categorize lots of things, right? It's not your fault. But again, it is our problem to fix, right? So we have to challenge ourselves not to say that's how they act. We have to challenge ourselves to say, that's how these specific individuals are acting, right? And not all people are prone to this type of behavior, similar with, uh, to Will Smith and to Chris Rock, right? Those two individuals are having this moment. This is not all Black folks, right? Because there's tons of Black people in the audience. Got, the whole night went off without a hitch. Questlove got his award. Denzel was sitting there giving great advice. Uh, Lupita was, you know, I mean, no, no one else had any issues, right? Um, but when you see those videos, to know that, okay, this is an individual group of people that are behaving in this way, and, this, and, and it's not fair to paint with broad strokes. And you listening to this show, you might actually do that. But when I'm, when I'm talking, I'm saying society. Society doesn't often do that, right? These things tend to subtly reinforce stereotypes, right? That Black people are violent or we like to fight or something like that. But there's just as many videos of non-Black people getting in fights. I'm sure there's more. You know what you I mean? Just, just based on the, pop- yeah, based on the population. Sure yeah, more. absolutely. Um, and again... White folks don't wear those videos the same way I do. White folks don't look at those videos and cringe, be like, oh man, you see, black people are going to look at this and think white people all, you know, do this thing. You know what yeah, I mean? But part of the reason that they don't cringe, however, is that the lack of societal power to create uh, <laughs> a society's outlook on them by black people. Even mm-hmm. if all black people felt that way, mm-hmm. society at large wouldn't just 
as we pointed out by the by the disparity in numbers and the lack of an infrastructure in place to flex any type of deprivation based on those ideas even if all black people saw those videos and said look that's how white people act it would not affect white people's lives sure at all sure ever yeah it'd just be an opinion based that a group of people have you're yeah. absolutely right right um there is something else to be said there though um i as i mentioned in my in the in the first half of the show i i mentioned uh you know a, a monologue that i had on my other program white people or other people don't tend to be defined by their outliers, their cultural or behavioral outliers to the degree that black people are. Right. So if you see, you know, some white folks in a viral video fighting at a trailer park or something like that, right. There's just some individuals in your mind and in our mind too, There's some individuals fighting at a trailer park. Those are the cultural outliers. You yourself may not live in a trailer park. You yourself may have all your teeth. You yourself may not drink during the day. You yourself may not have a cousin who's also your sister or whatever, some weird, you know, whatever, whatever's going on in this imaginary viral video. Right. Um, and we would not look at that, nor would you look at this video and say, see, this is how they act. We would look at the video as would you and say, look at these individuals acting crazy. Right. But again, go back to remember Sharkeisha. Remember that video, Q? You might not remember Sharkeisha, but that Sharkeisha video came out. Don't Google this. Um, but it was basically a fight. You know, some black girls fighting. Children, by the way. Yeah. And that went like ultra, like super viral, you know, some years back. And perhaps because of the name Sharkeisha, that's, that's a heavy name. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll definitely, that'll definitely float down Q rating. That'll, that'll float down the river a little yeah. bit, but, um, but also it just was, uh, and, and again, I'm talking about the weight that we carry like, Oh God. Okay. We're trying to get forward. The last thing we need is these people looking at videos like this saying, see, they don't even know how to act. Who is they? Are you saying they, those two individuals in the video, or are you saying they in general? And this is the weight that we carry because oftentimes we realize that that is largely true. I was taking the bus one time. This was in high school. This was in the 90s, right? The culture was a little different, but it was changing, right? I had, I think, a soda or something or a bag of chips or some sort of snack, right? I don't drink soda. So I, and I didn't drink soda in high school either, but you know what I'm saying? Um, and I'm getting off of the city bus, Valley Metro in Phoenix, Arizona, man. And uh, I was with my brother, Theo Geo, Kevin Rivers, you know, my guy. And I left my, whatever it was, it was like garbage, left it there on the bus. You know, my mind, someone's going to clean, they clean the bus, you know what I mean? So I just leave it right here. I'm not throwing it outside. It's fine. And uh, he pulls me aside and he says something that I knew to be true because I was conflicted when I left it. But I just, I think I had my hands full backpack and I was carrying something else or whatever. And we had to go somewhere, whatever. He pulled me aside. He's like, hey, man, uh, you know, you can't, you can't leave that there. It's, it's white people on this bus looking at you. And he was right. And I had to pick that up and I had to stuff it in my pocket or whatever. I, you know, this was many years ago. I was a child. But this is the reality for us. We cannot embarrass our people in front of the people with the power. 
because the people with the power will keep us subjugated because they have a cognitive bias. They see things that help confirm their reality. You were perhaps taught to fear Black people. You were perhaps taught to think that Black people are whatever. I knew a lady one time. She loved me. So older white lady. Her name was Betty Van Winkle. She's passed away long, long ago. She used to take care of me when I was little. She said that when she was growing up, she said uh, that she was taught that Black people had a natural odor to them that we naturally smelled. And no matter how much we bathed, we could not get rid of that smell. She said she grew up, she probably learned that that wasn't true when she was in her mid-30s. Right? This, this really happened. I, I knew this lady. I knew she used to take care of me and my sisters and my brother when we were little. She told me that when I was little. I might have been 12 or 13 when I heard that. So these are the sorts of things that make these incidents feel heavy. Now, I do want to take a moment here to shout out Hip Hop Weekly magazine. Um, these videos that we're talking about, uh, I believe, to a large extent, were popularized by uh, a site called World Star Hip Hop. Not mad at World Star, but I do recognize that though sharing those fight videos and having them go viral before, you know, the infrastructure was in place for things to go viral almost and on every uh, social media site, World Star was the first. And, and one of the things that really got them there was these fight videos. And they so unfortunately the, became synonymous with fight videos. Exactly. People would get into World fights Star. and yell out World Star in anticipation for making it on the site. Exactly. So um, I'm not mad at World Star, but I really wish that that didn't happen in that way. I wish there was another way that we didn't have to be like Mandingo warriors in order to make money or to get the sort of social media or viral clout or whatever it was. You know what I mean? There were more options available to us that were, had a little bit more dignity in them. But I do want to shout out Hip Hop Weekly magazine because my understanding in the, is that uh, they have a philosophy about them that is decidedly more dignified and does not rely on the lowest common denominator. Plus, they sponsor the show. So big shout out to uh, Hip Hop One time for Hip Hop Weekly Magazine. Now, rap beef. Hugh and I both come from hip hop radio. Uh, there's a good chance if you're listening to us that you're listening to a hip hop radio station. <laughs> um, and we didn't always do this show. Now this is primarily what we do, but we're both DJs. We both grew up loving hip hop as a part of our lives, it's part of our everything, you know? Um, and beef in hip hop has been sort of a part of what comes with hip hop. You know, it started up more as like battling who can rap better, who can insult the other person better, you know, on and on. And then, you know, um, as drugs and gang culture kind of took center stage and there's reasons for that. We've talked about it at length on the show. The CIA, 
That's all I'm going to say. But I don't have time to tell that story. But if, if through hip hop, music, um, drugs and gangs and that sort of stuff, or at least that culture kind of permeated hip hop culture and the machismo that came along with this gang mentality also took center stage. And then add in excessive popularity and wealth Mm -hmm. and ego and testosterone. Mm -hmm. And you get a very, very uh, toxic cocktail. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, all the stories about rap beef and the stories about who got in what fight at what award show or at what nightclub and who threw a bottle and all this and what, whatever videos and that sort of stuff, all that stuff kind of is what it is. Right. But I want to make sure that I say that that's no different from the other things that we're talking about here insofar as I'm concerned, you know, I, if, if people can see you and they are not um, culturally competent, they don't understand the culture, right? To them, it looks like chaos. It looks like insanity. It looks like violence. And, and, and it is in some cases. Um, it, but it looks way more sinister. And because they don't have the cultural context, it's more difficult to process it has a lingering effect and they have a tendency to paint with broader strokes right in other words paint all of these people all of this music all of this culture if you dress like this then you are this type of person if you sound like this then you are this type of person you know what i mean you're going to break into my home and do awful things with my daughter and that sort of thing you know what i mean And so over the years, rap beef and, uh, you know, what is born out of it in some instances has been another thing where that's a weight that at least me, I carry it a bit differently. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about Machine Gun Kelly beefing with Eminem. You know what I mean? Because that's not the same. I'm talking about, you know. Dr. Dre and Eazy-E, when Eazy-E was alive, you know, that was something that happened when I was like, you know, I'm from Compton, California. So that gang environment is something that I was born into. You know, my family was born into that. You know what I mean? So I knew that that was real, you know, Tupac getting shot, Biggie getting shot, you know, all that sort of stuff. And other people on the outside looking in and saying, oh my God. Now, I will say this, after... 30 years, however long it's been, almost 30 years, give or take. Uh, you know, these stories are a part of our society. So the, the biggies and the Tupacs and that stuff is not as scary anymore. It's, you know, this a million years ago, right? In fact, I was uh, taking a walk today and I saw a woman, wealthy woman, clearly wealthy, with her husband. And, uh, you know, the neighborhood where we take walks, they're all mansions. Everyone there is wealthy. Um, she was wearing a biggie shirt, you know, ready to die. You know, the first album cover and then on the top of the shirt, it said Notorious, you know what I mean? Wow. So I get that we've come a long way. But the point I'm trying to impress upon you is that, again, we carry that differently and carrying it differently is not fair. And and if there's anything that we can do to fix that, it's collectively 
us here and us black people and you listening who may or may not be black. We all need to make sure that we are checking our stereotypes and not painting with broad strokes. And if people have an issue, it's those people. It's not everyone. And it's okay to make patterns and make connections. That's human nature. I'm not mad at you for that, but we can't let it go too far and define a reality for us that doesn't really exist. Right now, I know I've been talking a lot, so I do want to hear your thoughts on, of course, the rat beef, the, the viral videos. I know we talked about, um, you know, Hip Hop Weekly versus uh, World Star Hip Hop, all that sort of stuff. So I think we have to be careful not to confuse causality and correlation. OK, uh, I think in general, we do that a lot because this happened and this happened. then this must have happened because this happened. Mm. And when it comes to painting with broad strokes and the conclusions that we reach with regards to black people, our culture, our hair, our way of dress, our music, the cities that we come from, the fear that is caused uh, by the uh, perpetuation of those stereotypes, we have to be careful with the dots that we connect because sure. sometimes those connections don't exist. We just put them there. Sure. Um, Coming from Detroit, Michigan and Compton, California, respectively, you know, you've seen our cities on the news for reasons that are not things that we're proud of. Yeah. To be our age, to be in the space that we're in and coming from where we came from is something that we're both very, very proud of. So you know that there's another side to it. Sure. Of course, those things exist. The gangs, the, the, the drug, the yeah, we're not drugs, blameless. The violence, yeah. all of that stuff actually happened. It's just not the only thing that happened. We're not is. singular or a monolith with that, with regards to that. So it's very, very complex to be from where we're from and be intellectual and be kind and be and not be tough guys and to not have chosen the other path that people that we grew up with did. Um, it wasn't easy to, to take the path that we took, but that other path isn't easy either. And sometimes it's circumstantial. Some almost are, almost 100 percent of yeah, the time it's circumstantial. born into those decisions you don't really have a choice sometimes so you know let's just have a bit more grace with each other um final thoughts um shout out to hip-hop weekly magazine uh, just shout out to the culture in general hip-hop we love you um i want to say this too chris rock we love you and will smith we love you too. It doesn't mean that doesn't mean you shouldn't do better. But I, I I move this way. You know this about me, Q, and you're about to learn this if you're listening. Nobody is simply the worst thing they've ever done. That's not fair for anyone. Once upon a time, when I was five years old, I remember this. I stole for all intents and purposes a ninja turtles coloring book out of toys r us this is in california i had a nickel that's how much they cost dang <laughs> i had a nickel but i had two coloring books one was inside of the other one and i paid for the one and i had two of them in there when i got outside i was like oh my god there's two and i just didn't take the other one back i was like let me hurry up and go home because i got two coloring books that was me stealing, right? I guess I kind of knew that was wrong, but I didn't know who I was yet. 
I didn't, I wasn't old enough to make a conscious choice of the type of person I wanted to be. I don't, I'm, I sounds like I'm making excuses for myself, which I don't want to do, but I'm not a thief. If someone were to call me that, they would be absolutely wrong. In fact, if that Toys R Us still existed, I would go and give them their other nickel, you know, to make it right. But Plus whatever the inflation would be. Cause sure, I give them a dollar. It doesn't matter yeah. to me, um, but that's not fair to say that somebody is the worst thing that they are simply. So I don't want to abandon Will Smith either. I just wanted to impress upon you the weight that we often carry as black people. Now it's time for, before we move on, good. I'm going to leave you guys with a question. If Will Smith got out of his seat, walked on stage and slapped Jimmy Kimmel, do you guys think he gets to walk back to his chair, sit down, watch the rest of the Oscars and then win best actor and give a speech. I don't think so. I'll let you guys figure out why I asked that question and why I think the result was different. It's a good question. All right. Way black history fact, Hattie McDaniel, June 10th, 1893 to October 26, 1952. This comes from Wikipedia. Uh, she was an American actress, singer, songwriter, and comedian for her role as Mammy in Gone with the Wind, 1939. She won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, becoming the first African-American to win an Oscar. She has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, was inducted into the Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame in 1975, and in 2006, she became the first Black Oscar winner honored with a U.S. postage stamp. In 2010, she was inducted into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. In addition to acting, McDaniel recording 16 blues sides between 1926 and 29, was a radio performer and television personality. She was the first black woman to sing on radio in the United States. Although she appeared in more than 300 films, she received on-screen credits for only 83. McDaniel experienced racism and racism and racial segregation throughout her career and was notably unable to attend the premiere of Gone with the Wind in Atlanta because it was held at a whites-only theater. At the Oscar ceremony in Los Angeles, she sat at a segregated table at the side of the room. In 1952, McDaniel died due to breast cancer. Her final wish to be buried in Hollywood Cemetery was denied due to the graveyard being restricted to whites only at the time. In 1931, McDaniel moved to Los Angeles to join her brother Sam and sisters Etta and Orlina. When she could not get film work, she took jobs as a maid or cook. Sam was working on a KNX radio program, The Optimistic Do Not Hour, and was able to get his sister a spot. She performed on radio as Hi-Hat Hattie, a bossy maid who often forgets her place. Her show became popular, but her salary was so low that she had to keep working as a maid. She made her first appearance in the Golden West in 1932, in which she played a maid. Her second appearance came in the highly successful Mae West film, I'm No Angel, in 1933, in which she played one of the maids with whom West camped. Oh, sorry, camped, camped it up backstage. That, that was written strangely but i guess that's how they called it sorry about that she received several other uncredited film roles in the early 1930s often singing in choruses in 1934 mcdaniel joined the screen actors guild she began to attract the attention and landed larger film roles which began to win her on-screen credits fox film corporation put her under contract to appear appear in the little colonel uh, with shirley temple bill bojangles robinson and lionel barrymore the competition to win the part of Mammy and Gone with the Wind was almost as fierce as that 
for Scarlett O'Hara. First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt wrote to film producer David O. Selznick to ask her to ask that her own maid, uh, Elizabeth McDuffie, be given the part. McDaniel did not think she would be chosen because she had earned her reputation as a comedic actress, a comedic actress, sorry. One source claimed that Clark Gable recommended that the role be given to McDaniel. In any case, she went to her audition dressed in an authentic maid's uniform and won the part. Upon hearing of the planned film adaptation, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, that's the NAACP, the ones that gave me my award for being a media trailblazer, uh, media activist trailblazer, shout out to the NAACP. They fought hard to require the film's producer and director to delete racial epithets from the film, uh, in particular, the offensive slur, N-I-G-G-E-R, and to alter scenes that might be incendiary and that, in their view, were historically inaccurate. Of particular concern was a scene from the novel in which black men attack Scarlett O'Hara, after which the Ku Klux Klan, with its long history of provoking terror on black communities, is presented as a savior. Throughout the South, black men were being lynched based upon false allegations they had harmed white women. The attack scene was altered and some offensive language was modified, but another epithet, darky, remained in the film. The film's message with respect to slavery remained essentially the same, consistent with the book. The film's screenplay also referred to poor whites as white trash, and it ascribed these words equally to characters white and black. Lowe's Grand Theater on Peachtree Street in Atlanta, Georgia, was selected by the studio as a site for the Friday, December 15, 1939 premiere of Gone with the Wind. Studio head David O. Selznick asked that McDaniel be permitted to attend, but MGM advised him not to because Georgia's, because of Georgia's segregation laws. Clark Gable threatened to boycott the Atlanta premiere unless McDaniel was allowed to attend, but McDaniel convinced him to attend anyway. Yo, shout out to Clark Gable. I never knew that about him. Um, most of Atlanta's 300,000 citizens crowded the route between the route of the seven mile, shout out to seven mile motorcade that carried the film's other stars and executives from the airport to the Georgian Terrace Hotel where they stayed. While Jim Crow laws kept McDaniel from the Atlanta premiere, she did attend the film's Hollywood debut on December 28, 1939. Upon Selznick's insistence, her picture was also featured prominently in the program. So shout out to Selznick as well. For her performance as the house servant who reportedly scolds her own daughter, Scarlett O'Hara, Vivian Leigh, and scoffs at Rhett Butler, Clark Gable, McDaniel won the 1939 Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, the first black actor to have been nominated and win an Oscar. I loved Mammy, McDaniel said when speaking to the white press about the character. I think I understood her because my own grandmother worked on a plantation, not unlike Tara. Now, this is the woman that played all of those made roles her and women like her she played all those made roles that um you remember when star trek came out and uh oh man i forget her name um she she played lieutenant o'hara i don't know how i know the character's name and not the actress's name but the original star trek the original series with captain kirk and mr spock and all that um, was it Diane Carroll? I don't think so. I don't but know. There was a black true. actress. <laughs> I, I, I sh- forgive me. I should know her name. Um, but she was the woman that Whoopi Goldberg said, that's the first woman I saw not playing a, a servant. The first black woman I saw not playing a servant on television. 
And so this kind of shows the lineage and the legacy of black folks getting from, you know, where we started, which was nowhere, blackface, essentially, to, you know. Nichelle Nichols was the go. actress who portrayed. There you go. Lieutenant Niota Uhura. There we go. On Star Trek. Thank you for that, Q. Save me there. Um, but that's, that's it for us and our entertainment episode. So uh, thank you for tuning in. Once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I go by the name Q Ward. Keep y'all's eyes and ears open. We might do some online-only content extras in the, new, in the near future about this topic because I think we both had a lot more to say sure. than we could fit in a single episode. Uh, and in the meantime, hit the website. Download this in any previous episodes. Uh, send us your questions and topics you want us to cover. Also, please make a donation. The show is growing with your donations. Um, that's civiccipher.com and follow us on all social media. That's at civiccipher. And until next week, y'all, peace. From headquarters, behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. With press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander. Here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show. Get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist. Headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this, y'all. We kick finance, action, and scores and sports. Politics, new fashion, and war reports. Entertainment, when we come to perform, watch. And the illest weatherman is.